0: morning everyone i am really grateful to sue for all that she's done to help put together this morning's service and the frankie for doing the reading and now we're going to gather round the word so let's take a moment to be still and then we'll pray and bring our time together to god heavenly father as we gather round your word May you shape us so that we might live today in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, help us today to take up our cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, may you fill us today and cause your fruit to ripen in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Amen. It was the 24th of November 2013 and Jules and I were in the Aviva Stadium in Dublin watching Ireland play the mighty New Zealand All Blacks. I must say I wasn't watching with much expectation of victory. The Kiwis were world champions and were looking for their 14th win in 14 matches that year. But in the first few minutes, with our first real attack, Ireland scored a try. And then, to our utter astonishment, five minutes later, we got another one. And we could hardly believe what was happening. New Zealand came storming back. But another few minutes later, one of their players fumbled a pass under pressure and the ball just dropped perfectly into the hands of the Ireland fullback Rob Corney. He had most of the length of the pitch to run, but he was fast and he had no one in front of him. So for the next 10-15 seconds, Jules and I were screaming, Go on! Run! as if he didn't know what he was supposed to be doing. And no one was catching him. As he touched the ball down, the noise was deafening. They could probably hear it in New Zealand. It was unbelievable. 17 minutes into the game and Ireland were 19 nil up against the best side in the world. Complete strangers were hugging each other as she could in the days before social distancing. I know this because I was grabbed by the guy next to me. Grown men were crying. It wasn't to last. There's a reason that New Zealand were the best side in the world and had won every match that year and they did come back and they eventually won with the last kick of the game. But you know, there's something still very special about that memory of Carney storming down the wing, us shouting, come on, at him, and the celebration as he touched the ball down. It was a moment of pure joy. And joy is what I want to talk about this morning. Last week we started this series looking at the fruit of the Spirit as described by the early Christian Paul in a letter to the Galatian church. He wrote, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And last week we started by thinking about love. But today we turn our attention to joy. Before I dive in, I just want to remind you of something I said last week. Often we can hear sermons and basically the message boils down to one of two things. Either do more or try harder. And the fruit of the Spirit is one subject which can easily leave you feeling that way. You can read lists like this and think it's about stuff you must do. Things that you must get better at. You need to be kinder, gentler, more patient. And let's be honest, I imagine most of us would love a bit more of those things. I'd certainly love a bit more patience when my computer plays up. But we can read them and come away guilty and feeling more burdened than when we started. Why am I so impatient? Why do I not have more self-control? So I want to say this is not a set of goals. It's not something you're trying to work up or make happen in your life. And that's probably good news because if you're anything like me, you're not that good at it. no, it's more like symptoms. We've heard a lot about symptoms recently, you know. We've been told to look out for a dry cough, temperature, breathlessness, loss of taste and if you have some or all those things, you should be tested for coronavirus. But you didn't make those things happen to you. If you have the virus, they just happen. And whilst the comparison might not be very flattering, the fruit of the Spirit is the symptom that God is at work in your life. If you went to a doctor and said, Doctor, Doctor, I seem to be developing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The diagnosis should be, ah, that'll be God's spirit at work in your life. But as I said, but as I said last week, these nine traits, they're not all the same or equal. And that's why I've been using this image of the light, the prism and the spectrum. The white light is the love of God. We are the prism. And as we open ourselves to receive that love and allow that love to fill us, it emerges from us as joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. So in this series... It's about primarily placing ourselves in the way of the love of God. To start from the premise that you are loved way more than you can ever know, way more than you can ever imagine, with a love that is higher, deeper, longer and broader than you can possibly fathom. What would it be like to truly believe in and receive that love? To allow that love to become the story around which you build your life. To know that you are loved whatever you face with a love that you can never lose. Because the more we root ourselves in that story, that's when we see the fruit of the Spirit start to emerge in us. There's one other thing I want to say about this fruit of the Spirit before I zone in on joy. Yes, it's about character that's being being formed in you and the kind of person you're becoming. But it's not really all about you. Ultimately, the main beneficiary of the fruit that a tree produces isn't the tree itself. It's us, people who like fruit. And so it is with the fruit of the Spirit. When God is at work in us, developing fruit in us, yes, it will change us and that will be for the better, but it benefits others. And this shouldn't be a surprise. Paul is all about building community. Yes, he talks about God doing amazing things in our lives, but his focus is not just about drawing us closer to God, it's about drawing us closer to others. Making better community. When you love someone, it doesn't just affect you. It affects the other, the one that you love. And so it is with all the fruit. The kind of person that you become doesn't just affect you. It affects those that you come into contact with. Mother Teresa once said, spread love everywhere you go. Let no one ever come to you without leaving happier. And that's an example of what I've been talking about. When love enters the picture, it emerges in joy. I often think that Paul is really misunderstood. The impression many people have of Paul is that he's somewhat grumpy, curmudgeonly argumentative. And I can't help but think we've gotten wrong. I don't think anyone could write 1 Corinthians 13 the passage about love unless they in some way modeled it. You can tell a lot about someone by the things that they talk about regularly and Paul talks a lot about joy. He talks about joy 21 times in his letters or in the passage we shared from Philippians he starts by telling them to rejoice in the Lord always. And again I'll say it, rejoice. And that paragraph ends with whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Now that's a brave thing for anyone to say. Would I always want people to put into practice what they've seen in me? Oh, I'm sure I have my moments. But would I be so confident? Either Paul was exceptionally lacking in self-awareness or joy was something that characterised his life. And I don't think his letters would have survived as they have if it hadn't have been the latter one. That he char- the joy characterised his life. So... I want to turn our attention to joy and we'll do so right after this.